0: Hello, and welcome to the Auditory Chronicles Podcast, a monthly program bringing you short tales for your listening pleasure. I'm your host, John McKenzie. In this episode, we bring you an adaptation of a short story published in 1916. It is a mystery involving two former lovers and a jealous husband. The Parthian Shot, adapted from the short story by Robert Peel Noble. The last note of the baritone's impassioned song had died away. Almost before Mrs. Reynolds had finished the closing bars of the accompaniment, she turned from the piano to the singer. You are in fine voice tonight, Charles, Mrs. Reynolds said. But something has given me a headache this evening, and it has been steadily getting worse. You will excuse me, I know, she continued as she arose. A night's rest will make me all right. I'm so sorry, said Charles Harding as they walked to the door. Certainly I'll excuse you. Why didn't you tell me sooner? I'll just have a smoke chat with John before I go, and perhaps he'll forgive me for my vocal disturbance. Too bad he doesn't enjoy music, he added as they walked up the stairs. Yes, it is too bad, she replied. He's like a blind man walking over diamonds. The beauty of music does not exist for him. Mrs. Reynolds paused before the door of her husband's den. Good night, she said as she moved away. Good night. I hope you will feel better in the morning, said Charles turning to enter the room of John, her husband. Mrs. Reynolds was keenly conscious of her headache as she closed the bedroom door behind her. But she was suffering even more from the memory of that which caused it. She and Charles were to appear on a program of a musicale on the following Friday evening and had been having frequent rehearsals. This, it seemed, at dinner that evening, was the cause of her husband's recent fits of sulkiness and ill-humor. Not that he had been a cheerful companion at any time during the past year, but of late he was even worse. And this evening, why, it was absurd. Her husband was apparently almost ready to forbid Charles' entry into the house. The man was jealous, her husband actually jealous. She could laugh even now but for the memory of his stormy words and self-incited anger. What if she and Charles had been engaged at one time? The quarrel over nothing, it is true, and her subsequent marriage to John had ended all that, and John should realize it and be more sensible. If John could only enjoy music and would only be a little more companionable. How long had she been asleep? Mrs. Reynolds did not know, but she awoke in terror. Could it have been the noise of a bursting automobile tire, which had so alarmed her that she found herself sitting up in bed before she was fully awake? With a fast-beating heart and with trembling hands, she slipped out of bed and opened the door. John? she called, then again more loudly. John? Oh, John! and ended with a sob. What if... my God, what if he did? She ran to the open doorway of her husband's den, fearing for the safety of her friend Charles. A piteous, heart-invading scream came from her lips. Not Charles, but John lay sprawled upon the floor, now stained with blood. Charles was nowhere to be seen. Staggering and clutching the banisters, Mrs. Reynolds half ran, half fell down the stairway and out through the front door to the sidewalk, crying for help. The next morning, as he was about to leave his apartment, a detective named Wynne received a visit from his friend, Charles Harding. Have you seen the morning papers? Charles asked excitedly. "'No, why?' was Wynne's reply. "'Mr. Reynolds has been murdered, and and, I—and—and I was with him last night!' exclaimed Charles. "'I'm sure I was followed on my way over here. What shall I do?' "'What kind of cigar do you smoke, Charlie?' "'Portinas,' said the other, staring. "'But why do you—' "'Never mind. Go about your business, just as if you were not being followed. "'You may be arrested, but don't let that worry you too much. "'I'm going to get busy right away.' Charles shook him by the hand. Thanks, old fellow. I'm glad I've got you to count on. I'll have to go now, said Wynne. The sooner I find out about this, if I can, the better it will be for your peace of mind. While Charles was on his way to his office, nervously aware that he was still being shadowed, Wynne was directing his steps up Walnut Street, absorbed in thought and unconscious of passing acquaintances. Wynne did not mention to his friend that he had already read the police report regarding the murder of John Reynolds. Among various details, the report indicated that a half-smoked and broken cigar had been found at the crime scene under the edge of the dead man's coat. Wynne knew that he would have caused his friend Charles worry if he knew that the brand of the cigar found in Mr. Reynolds' room was Portina, a brand Mr. Reynolds did not smoke. Wynne also knew that such worry might be unwarranted, at least for now. At the home of Mrs. Reynolds, Wynne rang the bell. "'Tell Mrs. Reynolds,' Wynne said to the maid as he presented his card, "'that it is absolutely necessary for me to see her for a few moments.'" As Mrs. Reynolds entered, pale and grief-stricken, Wynne arose, introduced himself, and said, "'I am very sorry to disturb you just at this time, Mrs. Reynolds, but in the interest of our common friend Charlie Harding, it is necessary for me to learn everything I can from you, which may have a bearing upon your husband's death.'" Charles could not have done such a thing, Mr. Wynne. He is incapable of it. I agree with you, Mrs. Reynolds, said Wynne. but if I am to clear him before others, I must learn all the facts possible, even those which look damaging. Had you been asleep just before you ran out of the house last night? Yes. I had gone to bed with a headache after rehearsing some music with Charles, and he had gone to John's room. You heard no quarreling or noise of a struggle? No, except for the noise that awakened me, she added with a shudder. The shot, I suppose. Was there any reason why your husband and Charlie Harding should have quarreled? Mrs. Reynolds hesitated, then spoke quickly. There was no reason, Mr. Wynne, unless you would call John's unreasoning jealousy a reason. Charles and I had to practice together a good deal lately, and John didn't like it. Who was in the house last evening, besides you and Mr. Reynolds and Charlie? Mrs. Reynolds recalled, Only the maid. The other servant, the man, doesn't sleep in the house. Wynne noted the manservant's name, and Mrs. Reynolds' statement that no money or jewelry appeared to be missing from the house. He questioned her at length about the door locks and how they functioned. Then, Wynne concluded his inquiry. "'Mrs. Reynolds, I won't keep you any longer, but I will ask permission to inspect your husband's room again, and perhaps some other parts of the house.' Mrs. Reynolds having acquiesced, Wynne first verified her statements as to the locks on the front door, and then revisited her husband's room. Wynne inspected all parts of the room, peering into places which seemed very unpromising. From deep under the couch, he picked up a small brass plumb bob attached to a string, regarded it thoughtfully, and put it into his pocket. Wynne then left the room to inspect another part of the house, after first finding and questioning the maid. It was nearly noon before he left the Reynolds' home, walking briskly, and with no trace of the absorbed manner which he had brought to the house with him. Late in the afternoon, Wynne learned that the autopsy performed upon Mr. Reynolds confirmed the opinion on the police report regarding the cause of death, and that the bullet had been found, one of thirty-two caliber. Wynne was also informed that his presence would be required at the coroner's investigation the next morning. At the investigation, the testimony brought out the fact that Mr. Reynolds had died from the effects of a bullet wound, that the condition of his clothes indicated a struggle with someone, that no weapon had been found, that all the windows downstairs and the outside doors except the front door opened by Mrs. Reynolds were found to be locked when examined immediately after the tragedy, that the stub of the cigar of the kind smoked by Mr. Harding had been found broken and under Mr. Reynolds' body that Mr. Harding was the last person known to have been with Mr. Reynolds before the latter's death, and that Mr. Reynolds had objected to the frequency of Mr. Harding's calls upon Mrs. Reynolds and had entertained an unfriendly feeling toward Mr. Harding on that account. To Charles Harding, who, with pale face, had sat listening intently, the presentation of these facts had been anything but reassuring. His only comfort had been the expression of assurance upon the face of his friend Wynne, who now addressed the coroner. I should like to introduce further evidence, Wynne announced. Proceed, Mr. Wynne. After the officers who had been sent to the Reynolds house had completed their examination, said Wynne, I made further inspection of the room where the body was found. Under the couch I found this. Holding up the object, he continued... It is, as you see, a small plumb bob, such as is used by masons and carpenters. What in particular aroused my interest, however, was the fact that the stout cord attached to the bob had a short piece of thread tied to it at the loose end, and the fact that the plumb bob was found under the Davenport and on a floor which the maid informed me had been swept on the day that Mr. Reynolds met his death. The maid further informed me that she was positive that the plumb bob was not on the floor at the time when the floor was swept, and that she had never seen it before. Although I was unable to see any connection between this plumb bob and the death of Mr. Reynolds, I had the feeling that there was a connection. From what, I asked myself, had the plumb bob been suspended? Why had it been fastened, as apparently it had been, by a thread tied to the cord, instead of being fastened directly to the cord itself? And, why was it thrown or left on the floor of a room used by a man as orderly as Mr. Reynolds was known to be? These questions I succeeded in answering. I found a short piece of thread tied to the lower end of the vertical tube of the electric light chandelier, which is in the center of Mr. Reynolds' room. I also found that the plumb bob, if it had been attached at this point, would have cleared the floor by about a foot, Just over the chandelier, in the attic, above this room, there is a short section of flooring which apparently had been removed, and then replaced, some time after the flooring had been laid. This I removed, and under it, I saw the end of a rifle which had been thrust down into the tube of the chandelier below. Charles sank back into his chair and relaxed with a sigh of relief, but the coroner and the others present, including Mrs. Reynolds, continued in their positions of rigid attention. The stock of the rifle, continued Wynne, had been cut off in order to make concealment under the floor possible. The trigger was connected to an electromagnetic device, also concealed under the floor. Downstairs, in the floor of Mr. Reynolds' room, is a push-button, supposed to be no longer in use, but in fact, it is connected with the electromagnet above, as I proved when, by pressing this push-button, I was able to release the previously-raised gun hammer. In that rifle, I found this, said Wynn impressively as he held up another small object. It is the empty shell of a thirty-two caliber cartridge. Your imagination can tell you the rest. Shortly after Charles Harding had left the house, Mr. Reynolds attached the plumb bob to the chandelier and lay upon the floor so that his heart would be just under the plumb bob and therefore directly in the line of fire. He pulled the cord breaking the thread close to the chandelier, of course, concealed the bob and cord by throwing them under the couch and with but the slightest change of his position on the floor pressed the push button with an outstretched arm. That any living man is responsible for his death, I cannot believe. Nor can you, I think, in the face of these facts. It may be more charitable for us to believe that Mr. Reynolds, mentally unbalanced by worry over his impending financial difficulties, known to a few of his friends, sought nothing but relief in death while trying at the same time to avoid the stigma of suicide. But it is not difficult to entertain the idea that Mr. Reynolds, actuated by jealousy, purposely disarranged his own clothing and purposely chose that time for pressing the push button when the bullet which was discharged into his own body should also serve as a Parthian shot at the man who had been in his room but a few minutes before. Wynne's evidence led to an immediate verdict of suicide and everyone hastened to shake Charles' hand. Although Charles held no one's hand in as long a grasp as he held Wynne's, His eyes rested often upon the black-gowned figure of Mrs. Reynolds, whose face expressed relief as well as grief. Was not something else fleetingly expressed there, too? Gladness? Joy? Charles started toward her as she was about to leave the room, but then checked himself abruptly. Better wait, he thought, and turned again to win. We hope you've enjoyed our presentation of The Parthian Shot as read by JT and featuring the track Melodrama by Off Clarung. Be sure to join us next month for another tale of mystery and wonder. In the meantime, feel free to visit our website at auditorychronicles.com for more information about the show, as well as links to our Twitter feed and Facebook page. For Auditory Chronicles, I'm John McKenzie. Thanks for listening.